Welcome to the preaching podcast of Poplar Springs Baptist Church in Hiram, Georgia, and the preaching ministry of our senior pastor, Wayne Meadows. It is our desire that the message you hear today would call you to a closer walk with Jesus Christ, and that your life would give glory to God as you apply the biblical truths proclaimed. For more information about the ministry of Poplar Springs Baptist Church, check us out on the web, www.psbchurch.net. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the preaching of God's Word. If you have a Bible with you this evening, open it with me to Psalm 119. Psalm 119, and we will look tonight at verses 49 through 56. Psalm 119, verses 49 through 56. We're in our study that we uh, have called the Golden Alphabet. And in the Hebrew alphabet, we come to Z much quicker than we do in the English alphabet. Tonight in these verses, we're in the seventh stanza, the seventh of 22, uh, found in Psalm 119, and it is structured by the Hebrew letter Zion. So if you're new with us in the study tonight, Psalm 119 is 22 stanzas long, eight verses each, and uh, in each stanza, the beginning of each line starts with the corresponding letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So it moves through all 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet, and tonight we're in uh, the Zion portion of the text, and so the letter Z is what's guiding and structuring these verses. So if you have your Bibles open, follow along and hear the Word of God tonight. Psalm 119, starting with verse 49. Remember your word to your servants, in which you have made me hope. This is my comfort in my affliction, that your promise gives me life. The insolent utterly deride me, but I do not turn away from your law. When I think of your rules from of old, I take comfort, O Lord. Hot indignation seizes me because of the wicked who forsake your law. Your statutes have been my songs in the house of my sojourning. I remember your name in the night, O Lord, and keep your law. This blessing has fallen to me, that I have kept your precepts. May the Lord bless this evening the reading and the teaching of his word. Anyone here this evening familiar with the phrase contra mundum? Contra mundum. It's Latin, obviously, or perhaps not so obvious, but it comes to us uh, predominantly from a gentleman in the early history of the church, the fourth century, whose name was Athanasius. He was at that time the bishop in Alexandria, and he fought against the teachings of a gentleman named Arius and his followers, the Arians. And Arius was a heretic And in his teaching, he promoted that uh, the Godhead in triune fashion did not exist, that uh, the Son was a created being. And so we could think of it this way, that the Arians were the precursors to the Jehovah's Witnesses of today. Uh, They did not uphold the doctrine of the Trinity. 
And so Athanasius was the opponent of Arius and his followers, the Arians. And, and out of this opposition from Athanasius, we have one of the uh, major creeds of the early church, appropriately, appropriately named the Athanasian Creed. I won't read it in its entirety tonight, but I'll give you just a, a sampling of it. Athanasius uh, stated, whoever wants to be saved should above all cling to the Catholic faith. Now, we pause you right here. Uh, understand that when he uses the word Catholic, he is not referencing the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church had yet to really come about to be as we know it today at this point in time. He's using it in its literal sense of universal. Catholic means universal. So the universal faith. Whoever wants to be saved should above all cling to the universal faith. Whoever does not guard it whole and invaluable will doubtless perish eternally. Now this is the Catholic faith. We worship one God in Trinity and the Trinity in unity, neither confusing the persons nor dividing the divine being. For the Father is one person, the Son is another, and the Spirit is still another. But the deity of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is one, equal in glory, co-eternal in majesty. What the Father is, the Son is, and so is the Holy Spirit. Uncreated is the Father, uncreated is the Son, uncreated is the Spirit. The Father is infinite, the Son is infinite, the Holy Spirit is infinite. Eternal is the Father, eternal is the Son, eternal is the Spirit. And yet, there are not three eternal beings, but one who is eternal. As there are not three uncreated and unlimited beings, but one who is uncreated and unlimited. Almighty is the Father, Almighty is the Son, Almighty is the Spirit. Yet there are not three almighty beings, but one who is almighty. Thus the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God, and yet there are not three gods, but one God. Thus the Father is Lord, the Son is Lord, the Holy Spirit is Lord, and yet there are not three lords, but one Lord. And so you begin to get the idea. Uh, Athanasius was rightly uh, a believer in the triune God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And so he uh, took great opposition against the teachings of Arius. But at one point in his opposition, uh, it seemed that the tide was going against Athanasius, that it was swinging in the favor of Arius and his followers, the Arians. And in one of those moments, an ally and close associate of Athanasius, um, understanding all of this, conveyed to him, Athanasius, all the world seems to be against you. To which Athanasius replied, Athanasius contra mundum. Athanasius against the world. Contra mundum is Latin for against the world. Athanasius said, I don't care if it's everybody. Bring them on. Bring it. He was a bad dude in the fourth century. He said, I, I don't care. If it's all the world, I'll stand against them because God is one in three, three in one. The Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. It's that mindset of Athanasius that really presents to us the context of this stanza in Psalm 119. In these verses that we're looking at tonight, in these verses of the seventh stanza, the world has come against the psalmist again. The world is 
pressing in upon him. It's as if he is the only one who is standing for rights. In verse 51, we're told that the insolence utterly deride me. They're mocking him, ridiculing him, because he is seeking to live according to the word of God. Uh, There's a reference here to what the uh, psalmist writes about in Psalm 2, how the kingdoms of this world rage against those who would live for the glory of God. He mentions in verse 53 about the wicked, those who forsake your law. The psalmist seems to be in a place of isolation and everyone and everything is against him. The world is against him. But here in this section of Psalm 119, we have the psalmist going contramundum. It's me against the world. I don't know about you, but I think we feel that way sometimes in our own lives. That the world is entirely against us. And that really shouldn't surprise us Uh, As followers of Christ, it didn't seem to surprise Athanasius, it didn't seem to surprise the psalmist here, and it shouldn't catch us off off guard either. Jesus taught us this in John chapter 15. Jesus said, if the world uh, hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. If we as Christians are in favor with the world, then something's not wrong with the world, something's wrong with us. If we're followers of Christ, we should expect that the world would be against us. Listen to what Jesus said just a few chapters later in the Gospel of John. In John 17, he's coming to the end of his uh, final discourse and high priestly prayer, he says, I have given them your word. He's speaking of his followers. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. What's the context of Psalm 119 in its entirety? The word of God. Living the word, loving the word, exalting the word. Well, when we seek to govern our lives by the word of God and to live that word out in faithfulness before God, you can expect what Jesus said to be the reality. The world will hate you for it. Somebody has sold you a bill of goods that they've told you it's easy to be a Christian. When you sign up to follow Christ, you're signing up to go against the world. John writing all of this in the gospel, John 15, John 17, and that last discourse in high priestly prayer of Jesus uh, records for us those events. But when he writes his epistle in the New Testament, the letters of 1 John, 2 John and 3 John, and 1 John 3, 13, he kind of gives us the synopsis of all that Jesus said. He kind of just distills it into one line. He says in 1 John 3, 13, Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. There you go. You're going to live for Christ, you're going to be hated. You're going to be mocked, you're going to be derided, you're going to be ridiculed. The wicked will come against you. But what do we do 
when we find ourselves in that situation? What, what do we do when we find ourselves contra mundum against the world? Well, this particular stanza of Psalm 119 gives us an answer. It shows us how we should respond. The psalmist, when the world came against him and he went against the world, his reply, remember the word. Remember the word. That's the theme that runs through this particular stanza. It opens the stanza in verse number 49, where he offers a petition to the Lord for God to remember his word. Remember your word to your servant, in which you have made me hope. He calls for the Lord to remember the promises that he has issued, in which his hope has been placed. And then in the, the middle of the psalm, in verse, or the middle of the text in the psalm, in verse 52, he says, When I think of your rules from of old, it's rendered in other translations as, When I remember your rules from old. Again, he's going against the world by remembering the word. And then in verse number 55, towards the end of the stanza, the theme reappears. I remember your name in the night, O Lord, and keep your law. What do we do when we find ourselves going against the world? The simple answer, remember the word. Remember the word of God. Do not forget what God has said. I think this is one of the reasons so often in scriptures we find the command, the divine imperative, don't forget, remember. Remember, remember, remember. Think about all the ways that God has built remembering into our faith. When we gather for the Lord's Supper as a church, we do this, what? in remembrance remember and here the psalmist says if we want to stand against the world we must remember the word so as we do that what we discover is the outcome how we stand against the world in remembering the word there's there's six things that will happen six things here in these verses that will transpire as we seek to remember the word when we wage war against the world. So first of all, let me give you these to you tonight. First of all, when we remember the word, when the world is coming against us, it will produce hope. It will produce hope. It's verse 49. Remember your word to your servants in which you have made me hope. Now, once again, here the psalmist is issuing a prayer. He's crying out to the Lord, you remember your word. He says, because in that word, I have my hope. There he's calling the Lord to act in faith according to his word. And he knows that when God does that and do it, he will. There's hope to be found. One of the things that we need as we live for Christ in this world is hope. The New Testament teaches us that hope is the anchor of our souls. Some have described hope as the oxygen for the soul. And when you don't have hope, life gets really, really hard. And one of the ways the world would come against us is seeking 
seeking to snuff out any hope that we think we may have, to, to remove any possibility of something to hold on to. But the psalmist says, no, I have a hope, one that is eternal, that you are a faithful God who is faithful to keep your word, and in your word I find my hope. So if we want to stand against the world, We've got to have hope, and that hope is produced within us. It it works its way into our life as we remember the Word of God. We remember how God has kept His promises across the history of His Word, that God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. So if we want to stand strong in the war, we want to stand strong against the world, if we want to stand strong even when no one is standing with us, remember the Word and let it produce hope in your life. Secondly, when we remember the word, it provides comfort. It provides comfort. This is verse 50. This is my comfort in my affliction, that your promise gives me life. He comes back to this idea again in verse 52. When I think of your rules from of old, I take comfort, O Lord. Now, I think we've got to be quick here to point out that in this conflict that he is facing, remembering the word doesn't necessarily remove the affliction. But the psalmist did say that in my affliction, your word gives me comfort. There's a difference there. It's not that your word removes the affliction from me, but that in the affliction, your word can give me comfort. It gives me life. Your promise, your word, it's life to me, even when I may be facing death all around. This is the language that the psalmist would use in Psalm 23. He restores my soul. The Saturday when... uh, The car show takes place. There'll be a lot of cars parked out in the parking lot that have gone through a restoration process. If we could have seen them prior to all that had taken place, we would look at them and say, those things are dead. But through a lot of work, a lot of patience, and let's just be honest, probably a lot of money, they have been restored. They've been given new life. And so we'll look at them on Saturday and we'll be envious and probably jealous and wish that we had it and could drive it home. Uh, But they have been given life again. Well, that's what the Word of God does for us as believers when we find ourselves facing affliction, when we find the world coming against us, when we, we find ourselves uh, at the end of the rope. How do, we, how do we hang on? How do we climb back up? Well, you find comfort in the Word of God. You find comfort in the Word of God. Take comfort in God's Word. So remember the Word. It provides comfort. Number three, we remember the Word because it promotes faithfulness. It promotes faithfulness. Uh, this is a theme that really runs throughout the entirety of Psalm 119 in relation to the Word. But here, the psalmist tells us in verse 51 that, that he's being mocked, he's being ridiculed, uh, he is being uh, derided because he is living out God's Word in a, a hostile environment. Yet he says, I do not turn away from your law. There's resolve that is there. There's steadfastness that is there. 
Where do we find that? Where does that come from? How do we, how do we remain steadfast? Well, we've got to stay in the Word. We can't turn away from that which we are to live and then expect that we'll continue to live it. He comes back to this again in verse number 55. He says, I remember your name in the night, O Lord. In, in that verse, there's some discussion about how he's using the, the language of night. It could be, if we take it in a very literal way, that he's referencing that when he lays down at night to go to sleep, he meditates uh, before he drifts off into sleep on the Lord, remembering his name. His name is a refuge for all who trust in him. So it could be that, that that's what he's speaking of. But it could also be that he says, I remember your name in the night. And the night there is not the literal sense that nightfall has come and the sun is set and the moon is now shining, but that he's living in dark days spiritually. This is what John does in the Gospel of John when he uses night. You remember when Judas left out of the upper room to go and to betray Jesus? John gives us this little snippet of information there that he departed, he left, and then he says, and it was night. Yes, the sun may have set, and yes, it may have been nighttime, but what John was getting at there is that it was spiritually dark. That the Son of God, the light of the world that had come and stepped into darkness, men loved darkness rather than light, and that was about to be displayed in a fashion that had never been seen before as the Son of God, the light of the world, would be handed over to be crucified. So it could be that the psalmist here has that in mind, that I am living in spiritual darkness, but I remember your name, I remember your word, and I keep your law. We'll never live by God's word if we don't remember God's word. We'll never keep God's word if we don't read God's word. So remembering the word will promote faithfulness in our lives as we seek to stand against the world. Number four, remembering the word provokes rage. And perhaps that's a point you never thought you would hear in a Bible study. But one of the, one of the things that I think we need to remember as we read Scripture one of the things that we need to take note of when we read are the things that surprise us. And if you're not a little bit surprised when you read what the psalmist wrote in verse 53, you didn't read it right. Hot indignation seizes me. The King James says, horror seizes me. Rage has gripped me. Some translations render it, hatred has grabbed hold of me. We're often taught, and in a sense, rightfully so, that we should not hate. Jesus told us this, right? Don't hate your brother. To say that you hate someone is equivocal to uh, casting them into hellfire. Don't, don't do that. And there's a sense in which we shouldn't do that, and it's wrong to do that. But at the same time, a righteous indignation is a very appropriate thing. 
Hatred is not wrong. The Bible teaches us in Proverbs that God hates some things. Six things the Lord hates, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. They turn the stomach of God. They stink literally in the nostrils of God. And if God hates those things, guess what you and I should do? We better hate those things as well. And here the psalmist says, your word has reminded me that I need to hate some things. And one of the things that I hate are when the wicked forsake your law. When they turn their nose up at your ways and your righteous rules and your judgments, he says, man, it seizes me. It grips my soul. It provokes a righteous rage within me. There's some things that, that should have that effect upon us. And if it doesn't lead us in that direction, we're probably not remembering the word. He says, remember the word and let it provoke a righteous rage within you. Hot indignation, horror seizes me. And one of the things that, that is, is perhaps in the mind of the psalmist here, when he uses the language of those who forsake your law, again, if Daniel is the author of this text, he along with countless others have been taken out of Jerusalem and Israel from the land of promise, taken captive into Babylon. There he's living in the courts of King Nebuchadnezzar, continuing to want to faithfully live for the Lord. But yet all around him, he has seen others who have come with him into this exile, and they are forsaking the way of God. They're turning their back on the word, turning their back on the Lord. They're living wicked lives now. And Daniel says, man, that's, that's tearing me up on the inside. There's hot indignation that is there. I don't want to lead us down a path that we don't need to go down. But sometimes, perhaps even all the time, when you're in a fight, you better have some fire in your belly or you won't get out of the fight. This is not a call to take up arms. This is not a call to, to promote vengeance. It's not none of that. None of that. But what I would tell you is that being a Christian doesn't always mean we're nice. Okay? Now that doesn't mean that you're rude. And that doesn't mean that you, you are uh, offensive to people. You've heard me say that enough, right? I hope you understand that. We're not the offense. The gospel is the offense. But when things are wrong, they're wrong. And we need to let them know that it's wrong. This is where the psalmist is at. There's hot indignation that seizes me because of the wicked who forsake your law. It's troubled him, and it should trouble us as well. It should provoke a righteous rage. Number five. Let me move on. Number five. When we find ourselves going against the world, we remember the word because it will petrify our joy this is verse 54 so the psalmist is living in a land where he is mocked and ridiculed and derided 
where wickedness is surrounding him and the law of God is forsaken. But yet, what's he doing in verse number 54? He's singing a song. He's singing. He says, Your statutes have been my songs in the house of my sojourning. We are a people, no matter what we're facing, that can sing. What did Paul and Silas, when they were doing, sitting in the prison cell, what were they doing in the middle of the night when they had been in prison for preaching the gospel in the book of Acts? They were singing. We have a faith that sings. We have songs that we can sing no matter the season that we are facing. Let everybody come against us. But when we, we remember the word, it solidifies the joy that we have in Jesus. It keeps a song coming across our lips. Your word, he says, it's been my melody. It's been my joy. And part of that is produced in that second line of that verse because this is just the house of my sojourning. Here's what the psalmist was saying. I'm just passing through. Let all the world come against me. Let everybody in the world hate me. I don't care because I am passing through this world. This world is not our final home. This world will not last. This world and its system will cease one day when the king returns. When you read Revelation 19, what you read about there is the language of Babylon being employed, and it's not speaking of the Babylon that Daniel was in in the Old Testament, but Babylon is symbolic of the world system. And you know what Jesus does with it? He puts it up in smoke. And what we have in Revelation 19 is the choir of heaven saying, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. That place is no more. And then what do we have in Revelation 20? John says, behold, I see a new heaven and a new earth. The old heaven and the old earth have passed away. We sing as we remember the word because the word reminds us that this, this world is not our final home. We're just sojourners. We're passing through. To remember the word as you fight against the world and let your joy be solidified. And then finally, in verse number 56, remember the word because it presents blessings. It presents blessings. The psalmist ends this particular stanza by saying, This blessing has fallen to me, that I have kept your precepts. This blessing has fallen to me that I have kept your precepts. Now, there's a couple of ways we could take that, right? We could take it in the sense that the psalmist is declaring that he has been blessed, that God has poured out blessings upon him because he has kept the precepts. He has walked in the ways of the word, and certainly that would be right. We could acknowledge that, affirm that. But it could also be that the psalmist is saying, this blessing has fallen to me, that I have kept your precepts. That here is the blessing that has been given, that God has supplied grace to enable me to live according to your word. How do we make it when we stand 
against the world. When it's us against everybody else that hates the word and hates the Lord and hates the church, at the end of the day, it's simply because of grace. Grace. The blessing that has fallen to me is but the grace of God that has been bestowed. And where do we discover that grace and learn of that grace and taste that grace? In the Word of God. When we remember the Word. So let the world rage. Let the wicked prosper. But let us remember the Word and stand against the world.